0: Hey, it's Cindy Howes and Lizzie No from the podcast Basic Folk Honest conversations with folk musicians. Basic Folk is truly changing the game with our well-researched deep dives that aim to empower the listener while fostering the folk community. I basically am writing worship music for youth group rejects. Maternal regrets and maternal guilt are universal. I try to make things that are beautiful and that are made with like a purity of intention. You can listen to Basic Folk on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast network, or at basicfolk.com.
1: Welcome to Harmonics, the podcast exploring the ways music and creativity leads us to wellness and healing. I'm Beth Bears.
0: All of these lands across my face.
1: Brandy Farican Carlisle. Y'all, this was a bucket list dream come true. To talk to Brandy Carlisle on Zoom, see her beautiful face, get to know her on such a deep level. I mean, there is truly nobody I admire more in this industry after my queen and savior Dolly Parton more than Brandy Carlisle. She is not only a powerhouse writer and obviously an incredible singer, but she's also such an uplifter of women. There is truly not an artist I can say I've been more inspired by. I cannot wait for you to hear this episode. Now I've sufficiently talked it up so much that you are hopefully not going to be disappointed from my words. In fact, you know what? I know you won't be disappointed. To a lot of folks, the first time they heard of Brandy Carlisle was during her show-stopping performance of The Joke at the 2019 Grammy Awards. Brandi walked away with three trophies that night for her record By The Way I Forgive You, one of my favorites, including Best Americana album, but she's been honing her distinctive voice and building a very dedicated audience for over 20 years, all the while staying committed to building a family and a community with her band and her team. I mean, that commitment has absolutely made her the godmother of modern American roots music. She is truly one of a kind. You are going to love this interview with the incredible Brandy Carlyle. Hi, Brandy. Hi. I was just telling Brandy how I've been literally shaking with nerves all day because uh, she's. One of my biggest music heroes, if not biggest. And I'm just so grateful that you've agreed to do this.
0: Oh, I think it's me that should be nervous. You've done so many great things in the world. And it's just really an honor to get to talk to you today. So thanks for even thinking of me and inviting me, man.
1: Thank you so much. And uh let's talk about 2020. All How right. you doing?
0: How you holding up? How wow. have things changed? <laughs> How's quarantine? How's your family? I mean, nothing will ever be the same again, you know? Like it, and, um, and I mean that in all of the beautiful and complicated ways. Um, I think that it's crazy to not have, like, a job right now and to be exploring all these tributaries and these side streams of what my job used to be. And it's making me take a look at myself and making me learn. It's making me meet new people and have these great conversations. Um, it's made me do, I mean, I got a boat. I, I've wanted to Ooh. get a boat, like, my whole life. But I'm like, okay, I finally have time. I have no money, but I have time. So, like, <laughs> let's just, you know, let's just finance this shit and get going with it. You know, we'll figure it out. And then I have taken all these deep dives on uh, racial justice and identity politics and sort of sociopolitical political dynamics and all these things are happening all at once and it's a massive uh rebirth how is it going for you I feel the exact same way you know
1: the first few weeks I'm sure I felt similar to you in the sense that like it was so nice honestly to not be working all mm-hmm. the time and to be home and like settled for the first time in like 10 years it felt like because there were no for us for actors there were no auditions there was no work at all we stopped our season right in the middle of the finale and. The first, you know, I I have like major anxiety disorder. So a global pandemic with the health anxiety has actually been, I think, the hardest part for me to navigate. But I think getting involved in activism and reading and educating myself and finding new, like playing the banjo or cold plunges in the ocean, like grounding practices Mm -hmm. have been like super helpful. Um, Listening to music like yours, but just really, yeah. I mean, have you done the thing where you're like, baking bread or have you like picked up any new like quarantine skills besides boating i guess that's pretty cool
0: no tons like all the same stuff you're talking about like i have picked up some quarantine skills like gardening you know i planted <gasps> yes! a massive garden and i've like learned to grow things and some things died and some things got ripe at the wrong times and like i know i need to stagger things next time and and then there's been the boating thing but also in addition to boating like I've been I've learned to crab and shrimp like to catch those two things. Oh, wait, you're a big fly fisher, right? Yeah, I'm I'm every kind of fishing.
1: Okay, yeah. cool. My husband's super into it, and we keep – now I should have time now to go with him to actually do it because I've been dying. I really just want to sit outside and look at the stream. I mean, I'll try to catch the fish too, but yeah. I just think that's such a cool practice.
0: I, it's so similar to me um, emotionally um, to horses, which yes. I know that you have found a lot of catharsis in. And it's a really similar feeling. that doesn't have that amazing smell that horses have or that feeling. Oh, my God. You know, but – um. Horses are just such a deep well of, of like wisdom. There's just something in there. And I have always seen fishing as this, I don't mean to get too esoteric about it, but Please do. The whole podcast is super esoteric. So it's great if you do. (laughs) It is an attempt and sometimes a fruitless attempt to make contact with something you can't see. Mm. And that's a little bit brutal and a little bit complicated. Um, and not everybody's going to see it the same way, but it's, it's like I'm in it for the surprise and I'm in it for like the the feeling of, of it not working out, walking away without ever catching a fish or without ever making that connection. Sometimes I'm in it for food, but it has always been a really cathartic practice for me. I mean, from a, an age so young, I, can, I can't I can even remember the first time. Wow. So it's always been
1: in your life. Have horses always been in your life as well? Because I know you live on a farm, right? You're like, you're living my dream on your com compound in, in Seattle with your family like especially during the pandemic we're like when can we buy our farm i want to wake up to goats and horses and chickens and all the things
0: you know i live in the pacific northwest in the cascade foothills just uh, southeast of seattle washington um on a compound many 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 acres with uh, the twins um in my band one of the twins is married to my sister and my wife's sister lives on the compound and she's married to our cellist in my band so it's all, um, and there are more of us that live here and share space and we all just kind of ride four wheelers to each other's houses and we have a big community garden and we uh, play music and we do like a, a little quarantine show once a week and, you know, we've got kind of a quaint thing here. If I could do that, do what I do and live on a farm 24
1: seven, I would, you know, uh, yeah. has that been just the best part of your life? <laughs>
0: It's almost like something that I committed to at such a young age. I don't really remember making the active decision to do it, but I know I'll never live without animals. Um, and horses, man, they have come to me at strange times. They're a complicated totem for me my my the most significant, I've had two horses, and my most significant horse would be one that I rescued when I was seventeen, and he was five yeah. and a half months old. And I didn't wow. he was my second horse, but neither time I've had a horse has it ever been like formal. Like I'm not a horse person. And to this day I'm not a horse. I, I love wow. them, but I don't know what to do. I'm not great with them. I don't um it's always been like having a friend, you know, a very informal relationship. So this this horse I rescued when I was like 17, it was like 75 bucks to do it. And I thought it was gonna be this really kind of like, yeah, I'm 17. I got 75 bucks right now. Let's do this. <laughs> you know, brought him home in the back of a pickup truck on a dog leash. And, wow. and then proceeded to have to grow up immediately because I moved out. You know, I had a hard childhood, so I moved out. And then I had this horse. It wasn't a dog. It was a horse, which meant I had to have a job. I had to have a vehicle that could haul Hey, I had to have a house with property. I couldn't just shack up with four people in an in apartment building you know so it, right. it made me have to work and like it gave me my work ethic mm. and my hustle that has translated every bit to who I am right now and never would have happened without without that horse Wow. I had a very similar, I wasn't as young,
1: but season one of Two Broke Girls, there was a horse on the show. And I had grown up loving horses, but my parents would always say like, we can't afford riding lessons. Like in Virginia, it's too she to like, they just didn't have the money. And, and, uh, I just noticed whenever the horse was around on set that it would like really calm me and Kat Dennings down, like mm-hmm. our nerves. And Whitney Cummings was like, you know, you should try equine therapy. My friend runs this program. I literally had one lesson with her and was like, yep, I know nothing about horses, but I'm going to rescue a horse. I went to the rescue and found my, I have a a half Mustang, half quarter horse named Belle. But it it completely, like, even the way you're talking about fishing, it completely transformed my life, both uh, my life and my sister's life. My sister's a survivor of sexual assault. And from my horse and with this amazing equine therapist, we started this program for women. And seeing just not only the change, like, mentally, but physically, like the somatic change. And I feel like what you were saying about the mystery of something you can't see in the water, Mm -hmm. the work we do with like somatic reprogramming in the body, it's like, this isn't traditional talk therapy. Just being around the horse is gonna be healing because they're so intuitive. They only respond to authenticity, so you can't be like, "I'm not scared at all. I'm gonna pick up your hoof." They will let you know that you're not being authentic, and so coming
0: up, that knee's getting yeah. locked.
1: <laughs> so there's like something I felt as someone who was always, you know, not very comfortable in my body, people pleasing, especially in this business. You know, yeah. on two broke girls, like my body had sort of started to break down with this rash from stress and anxiety, and my life sort of changing really quickly, and. And to be like around them, get past the fear and know that my authentic self was enough to like show up and communicate with this being. And it's that spiritual thing that you talk about. I mean, I always say like, I found my version of God through like spirit and nature and horses and, and all of that, but it it just, yeah. And, and I think maybe fishing because of the nature element too, and also the element of the unknown, like there's so much spirit in a horse's eyes and energy and with the fish and on the stream and not knowing
0: what's happening underneath there, you
1: have to trust there's
0: so much spirit, right? Yeah, yeah, it's very, there's a lot of native energy in both those concepts and like, yeah, I feel really rooted to that. And so it's, I don't know why I've drawn that correlation over the course of this call, but like, yeah, they really do feel the same. They do, Yeah. you know, I'm a lot more afraid around horses. Horses really scare me.
1: They scare me every day and I have one. <laughs> I swear to God, Brandy, like I, I still, when she spooked, she spooked during quarantine and I I sprained my ankle and like it, it, I, you know, quote unquote, get back on the horse. I wasn't even on it. I was Mm -hmm. just walking her, but you know, it can happen at any time. But I think that that's like made me more fearless, you know, in my own life. Cause I have to, it's like, you were saying the responsibility, like you have to show up for your horse. They have to have exercise. She has this thing called PSSM. She has to have certain supplements. Like it's your responsibility. So. Yeah, I feel like yeah,
0: it's good to get past the fear. That- it is. I still haven't <laughs> done it yet, but I, you know, every every few years ago, see, he died a couple of years ago. It was crazy. Oh. He he made it to twenty years old, without wow. without ever having so much as a vet visit. Like he was gilded, and that's it. He never had a cough or a scratch or or a hot spot or anything, and then he just died one day in like four hours, and it it was it was a very fitting exit very similar to his entrance like he he knew i think more about the years i had ahead of me than i did because wow. it was before the grammys and before by the way i forgive you and the whole thing and like i wouldn't have seen that horse at all no. and there there wouldn't have been anyone to really to be here for him or you know energetically or even just logistically so He had this just really mystical way of coming in and, and out of my life, but I never stopped being afraid of him, and he never once hurt me or anyone. He never hurt anyone. But That's it's how just... Belle
1: is. Like, she would never hurt a fly.
0: Like, yeah. I mean, spooking, whatever. She,
1: one time I fell off her bareback and she literally reared up and I saw my life like before my eyes and her hooves were up above me. And I thought, okay, this is it. Like my career is over. Like I'm going to be paralyzed whatever. And she physically moved her body to protect it. And I feel like you're right. Like they know there's just something deeper. They're way ahead of us. They're, they're way ahead way of us. Ahead of and like,
0: us. I remember being real young because I've always been fascinated with horses like my whole life. Me too. But also really scared. I remember being like really young and um, someone telling me, yeah, they can, they can smell fear. So if you're afraid to a certain point, they might test you a little bit and you might end up in a kind of a naughty situation or whatever. But if you're really afraid, like if you're fundamentally afraid, they might actually protect you. And I, I mean, have seen yeah. that more times than I can say. <laughs> it's like, that is so true. It's so the way they behave when you put a toddler on their back. You know, you don't hear about very many bad things happening in those situations. It's like, because they're just so far ahead of us.
1: Yes. our ho- The place where I keep Bella is an equine therapy barn for children with special needs. And I've seen like children that are so tiny get on that back and those horses would never do anything to hurt them. I had a friend who was hiking and there was a beehive that started to swarm them. And usually a horse would take off, you know, bees. And she literally protected my friend and made sure she got back safe. They were walking together. And it's like, I agree with you. I think, yeah, they they know. That's why equine therapy is so powerful and, and all of that. But
0: it's really cool that you found it and that you're finding ways to help people through that because I just, I find that it makes the most sense.
1: Yes, speaking of helping people. <laughs> You are one of the most incredible, uh, voices in activism. And I think for me, like my biggest inspiration as far as like an artist who everything you put out is so, um, meaningful, authentic and healing. No wonder horses love you. (laughs) Um, what is your like creative process? Like, like, is there, especially now, has it changed in quarantine? Like, have you shifted it? It is a
0: really shape-shifting gift, um, Mm. And actually quite similar to you, whatever it is, like whatever that muse is that comes through, and sometimes it makes you write songs, and sometimes it makes you do finish carpentry, and sometimes it makes you, you know, catch fish, um, you know, sometimes it makes you write a book. Um, I've, been ri- I've been writing a book that I'm really wow. close to finishing, and I've been writing a lot of songs um, for my next album that are coming from the catharsis of writing the book. And I've been writing some essays and um, things that pertaining to the state of uh, the world, but particularly this country right now. So I'm writing a lot in literary sense, which lends itself to these sort of snippet songs. And sometimes I don't think I'm a writer at all. You know, sometimes I think I'm just an entertainer or a person that just wants to connect deeply with other people. Right. And I, I mean, I don't mean to have so many answers for that question, but it's just that it is such a confusing little snake. I'm always chasing its tail. I don't really know, but sometimes I can't write a song for two years or more.
1: Wow. Yeah. Is your book going to be about like your childhood? Is it going to be, or are you allowed to say it's okay if you can't, if you, can, if you yeah. can't tease it? it.
0: <laughs> it's, I think it's about, it's not a, a memoir in a, okay. a, in the sense that I feel a little bit too young um, to write a memoir. It's a little self-helpy, but it's not, like, full self-help because it does have so much of my own experience and talking about my childhood and really specific experiences. And it's not about creating art. It's sort of all three of those things. So, like, basically, there will be a series of experiences or a time period in my life. I'll write about that, and then I'll I'll display some of the art that came from it. So it's lyrics (sighs) or poems or songs. And then, you know... Uh, there might be a spiritual or like um, a, a, a sort of uplifting or self-improving um, self, you know, identifying message in, in some of those stories and situations. But it basically is experiences in my life that led me to create art that people have been able to identify with. And so it's it's like it's backstory, but without stripping away somebody else's ability to identify with that song and what it means to them.
1: Ooh. Oh my God. I can't wait to read this. It's cool. This it's, is gonna short. Be awesome. <laughs> it's short. Awesome. <laughs> it's short. Do you have like a set? Have you become one of those writers where you're like, okay, every morning from this time to this time I write, or is it sort of, you just let it come to you when it does and you're like, hold on kitties. Let me let me go to my writing desk.
0: You know, it started with when, by the way, I forgive you came out. I, I wrote this kind of, I don't know what it was, this thing about this like experience I had in with church where I had a pastor that, that sort of said that I I was going to be baptized and this pastor kind of made an example of me in front of the church by deciding not to baptize me when I was young enough to where It was really humiliating and we were all there and the families were there and the the seats were full and it was such an awful uh, transformative experience that I kind of wrote about it when by the way I forgive you came out because it came back up with the album and then I was like man I need to I want to write more things you know, so I sort of had that experience in the back of my mind. And I I, I got curious one day at a bar drinking next to um, this woman who turned out to work for Random House. And we were just Whoa. having mojitos and talking shit. That's all that was going on. <laughs> and um, wound up meeting in a fluke situation in, outside of that bar night, actually. And I was like, all right, these are signs. We're taking this there. And and so I mean like I was supposed to And you've written a book I was supposed to do like a synopsis first And so I sat down to write the synopsis And I wrote 98 pages And I was like okay This is like wow. happening and I, and I did it in under five weeks Of just hotel rooms I wake up and have coffee And that's all I wanted to do I have no willpower I can't make myself do anything I don't want to do So it just happened and, and then all I was really doing Once I turned that in Was going back and adding to things And taking things away so it just mm. f- just flew out and then i realized like i actually want to do that more i want to write more books by the way i forgive you after all maybe i should thank you for giving me what i found
1: you... i have a i have a question that's kind of selfish cuz i'm curious of my own experience i had a pretty tumultuous relationship with organized religion growing up Mm -hmm. it really didn't resonate with me I was scared of it I Catholic you know going to confession priests they were it was so fearful for me and and I don't think it was until I found horses in time in nature that I really kind of connected to my version of God or spirituality so after that experience and God, isn't forgiveness like such a theme of an empathy crisis for 2020 that we're going through such a deeply human, complicated thing? Can you tell me about how you sort of navigate faith now after not only experiencing that, and then writing about it? And then how has it shifted even now post writing about it?
0: Yeah, well, I really identify with what you're saying a big time. And I don't know why we keep bringing this back to horses but you mentioned it, <laughs> you know, a, a couple of seconds ago that you you felt this fear around religion, you know, which is, you know, Catholicism has a lot of fear-based themes to it. And then you have this fear of horses, just like I do. And it's it's funny how horses and God can be can really parallel each other in this way because the Bible says that you know, we always talk about being God fearing and fearing God as like this virtuous thing. That's a good thing. But the Bible and, and Torah are like very clear that fear is the beginning of wisdom and anything worth loving, you kind of fear first, and then you have to learn and you get, you develop your wisdom and then it just expands into this huge love that you can't even hold in your body. And that's really what faith is to me. Yeah, it started with fear. And it started with some really hard things that led me to want to abandon it, not take a closer look. But the more I learned, the less I feared it. And, uh, you know, and I still haven't conquered it, just like horses. I still, I don't think I'll ever not be afraid of either thing. But I do know that that fear being the beginning of wisdom resonates in a lot of places for me. And forgiveness... Uh is another one of these like massive paradigms. And it's one of these, th- these things that I'm, I feel like our culture has really complicated because I associate it so inextricably with privilege. Yes. It's really one of those hashtag blessed kind of whitewashed words that we live inside of with this kind of white suburban sort of Christian-y but it's really a radical word. And I would love to find a way to talk about it that would remind people how radical it really is.
1: Wow. I don't know. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And the fear leading to wisdom, you know, especially thinking in terms of God, you know, they always say in religion that God's within you. And so many times we're scared of ourselves or what we have inside and, and even now with you're talking about with pri- privilege and anti-racism and wanting to be an ally and even being uncomfortable is a privilege like white people being uncomfortable with discussing it out of fear or not saying the right thing or the wrong thing is a privilege and is also our way to wisdom is living in that uncomfortable space right i mean i know this is a much bigger <laughs> deeper conversation but i just love how you just tied that into forgiveness and that that
0: concept yeah big big concepts and that's what I like to write about the most whether I'm writing a book or an essay or a song you know yeah I do wonder if I'm going to be able to get back to like you know just writing some like half-ass punk-ass like you know love song or some like little com- gossip song or complaint about someone or you know like i i i do miss being able to tap into lighter-hearted themes you know when i was younger and like at some point i'm sure i'll have like a midlife, cri- mid-life crisis and go right into it i'm gonna buy a motorcycle <laughs> yes and, yeah and i'm gonna or drop, a horse drop that an you can ride really fast yeah yeah <laughs> no because then that's gonna lead to wisdom <laughs> again Truth. Yeah, you
1: just need like a motorcycle to get on the road and go far. Yeah, yeah that does not. Leave I know. A it seems <laughs> like we, we're, <laughs> we're all diving so deep into this time. I said to Michael the other night, like, I really just wish that like you would just let me do like a physical comedy bit for you. So I could feel like I was making someone laugh because I feel like I've been so immersed in education and sort of like activism and the darkness. I feel the same way. I'm like, can I just twerk on you upside down real quick? <laughs> like, and he's like, no, <laughs> leave me alone. But I said to him that the other night, cause yeah. I was like, oh, um, yeah, it's so, it's I so know I'm like,
0: I'm so worried. Everybody's going to decide they don't like me anymore because like, that's kind of that's always so been nuts. an element of my personality. And now I'm like, God, now that the whole country is like going through that now, is like getting a double dose of it every time they talk to me. So I'm just gonna become really annoying. Like,
1: but I'm just I'm gonna give you permission right now. You can totally use that as your next song, twerking upside down, and you could say it's inspired by Beth Bears as your light, fluffy pop culture song. My put a favorite, good beat.
0: My favorite thing is that I I put like uh, Truth Hurts, that Lizzo song, in the walk-in music for my shows. And I, like, I, I cleverly, like, that walk-in music is, f- first of all, heavily customized because I like watching the crowd react to it. So you got, like, girls just want to have fun, leads into Total uh. Eclipse of the Heart. And, you know, at this point, people are, like, getting really enthused. You could go throw some Dolly Parton Jolene in there, some Eternal Flame, and then, boom, you drop Truth Hurts. And then I sneak down the stairs to watch thousands of mostly white lesbians twerk. <laughs> Because you haven't <gasps> seen shit until you've seen 3,000 white lesbians twerk. This is my it's, dream. It's
1: honestly. <laughs> I love it. Oh, my God. That's amazing. That's, that's what amazing. gets me ready
0: for a show. To
1: my face.
0: I try to say smart things all the time, but that's what really does
1: it <laughs> how can I get them to come to the set of the neighborhood and be in our audience to get me ready for the show actually I have to Sheen Arnold she, she gets me ready that way she's not a lesbian or white but she really gets me there oh my god do you miss it do you miss live performance has it come to a point where your heart's just
0: aching for it I, it's I don't know I just don't I miss the security of knowing I have, like, a job and a way to sort of, like, provide for my family and shit. But, like, and I and I miss things. Like, I, I, I had to approve, like, a mix of me singing I Will Always Love You with Dolly Parton. Oh, Newport. was it the
1: Newport Folk one? Yeah.
0: And I was oh. like, oh, it hit me in the chest. Just hearing the audience, like, scream and hearing the joy in Dolly's voice when she'd go, you know, why don't you take this verse, honey? And it was like... <laughs> I was like oh I just miss all of that joy like it's really joyful so yeah you know what yeah I do miss it I don't know if I miss being gone or having to make the decision about whether or not to leave my kids I don't miss um like the hair and the makeup and all of the oh me either (laughs) you right you hear me (laughs) but yeah I miss it and I know in the coming weeks I'm gonna start really missing it
1: yeah I've been missing it recently too. And I hadn't been missing it the whole time till, till recently. That connection, that community you feel, even with my cast, like, I'm sure you have that with your band, but just that, you know, that troupe that's making art together. Cause Michael and I have been so isolated. I mean, we can hang out a lot, but (laughs) it's, it's different when you're not, you know, making art with someone you're married to. But What what um, ways
0: have you found to kind of confront that? Like how much you miss your peeps? This... This podcast has been everything for me. I
1: were uh, about, I think you'll be like almost, we're over halfway now with uh, interviews and it's just been this kind of beautiful melting pot of different conversations. And, you know, I can have, I have pages of questions for you here, but it always just turns into this connection and this conversation and I'm just geeking out over it because I'm not only meeting my heroes and selfishly learning from everything you say and asking you all the nerdy questions I want to know but also like I'm really into wellness and spirituality but in like like Glennon Doyle's like deep self-care way like I'm not into a new face mask or like Botox but I'm really into like Untamed yeah or Brene Brown and so I feel like I love those people you just mentioned too Love them. There's something about that that's making feel and and we're honestly, this has been mostly um, all women this first season of the podcast, which has been really cool, too. So it feels like there's sort of this female empowerment connection that uh, I haven't really experienced by having these really intense, deep conversations with women.
0: Yeah, it's cool that it's like even accidental. Although I'm gonna right. break break trend and say, do you know Rob Bell's got a new book coming out?
1: Oh,
0: maybe we have to have him on.
1: Well, I gotta have Glennon on first or Brené because they're yeah. my Glennon and I are Instagram friends, like we were. So I'm hoping. She'll come on because untamed. My mom, who wouldn't normally read something like that, was like, "I'm a cheetah!" Like I was like, "Mo," <laughs> her name's Maureen, so my sister and I call her Mama Mo. But she's like, "I just have this fire," and I was like, "Oh, Glennon, you're helping my cute little six-year-old mom come out of her shell and
0: feel wild and all of that." No, that's but. really true. Like I know so many people that are reading that book too, or have read it that I that are very different from each other, and are all kind of having this. amazing like reckoning that's coming from it and they all feel really empowered energized positive they all seem to have really good ideas about how to help the world and I'm really impressed with Glennon and I'm also really impressed with there's a few things I really like about her I I like that she is always like learning in the and in the middle of her process but not willing not afraid to say something even if she's got to walk it back or even if she's got to change its shape, like she's just so brave that it's like, actually, that's how the great sort of philosophy enters the public consciousness is like with vulnerability instead of with certainty and learnedness. And I, I'm not, um, I don't know, she has a superpower and she's able to reach into my community, the LGBTQ community in a way that I, I haven't ever, uh, ever seen an, uh, an author or a speaker or just like kind of a um, a public person do in a way that's just really um, galvanizing. It's bringing a lot of us together and making us talk about things. Like there was this big thing yes like last week with um, the LGBTQ community and choice. And it was just she's kind of sees a lot of these intersections a little bit ahead of where everybody else does. And I think, you know, she brought me into the share the mic thing. So I'm like, on this major Glennon Doyle kick right now. I'm just really impressed with her.
1: Me too. And her love story with Abby and even her love story with her family and her faith, you know, all of that together, I found so inspirational and, and, yeah, and vulnerability. I mean her and Brene. It's the hardest thing. But I love if we Brene can just too. I know if we could just own it and live it and not be so scared of it. But We're you do We're lucky to be living in
0: the time of these women. We're lucky to be living in the time of you. This is like this is good stuff, man. You know, uh. and this is this stuff's helping my daughters. I got two of them. Yes. Can we talk about that? Like how you're raising them during all of this i think we're right now we are having conversations and creating like family memories that are going to they're going to be able to take these things with them into their adulthood and remember this time and i think that they will feel when they look back on it contrary to what i feel i think they will feel a lot of security based on this time because there's a lot of honesty there's a lot of exposure to one another We're never leaving each other. Um, We've had to get more involved in their schooling. Right. You know, and we're just so involved with the kids emotionally right now in a really cool way. And we're all learning how to do new shit, too. We were talking about this, like the boat stuff. And, you know, like last night, my my wife and daughter insisted on sleeping in a tent. (gasps) No one slept. No one slept because I had the youngest and um but it was fun it was funny you know we always have this thing where if me and my wife argue we do it right in front of the kids we don't care and even if we like play argue or whatever my oldest evangeline will always take my side and she just vocally does it and just gets involved and she slept in a tent with her mommy last night so this morning she took her side in one of our play arguments (gasps) no.
1: And <laughs> Angeline, how it dare worked. you? It, Catherine's <gasps> plan worked. That video of you singing to her, the music video of mother mm. of you singing to her is my ovaries. I mean, I, Michael and I <laughs> were like, mm, we're going to wait to have a baby because of the you know global pandemic right now. We're, <laughs> we're good. But like, I saw that when I was like looking at beautiful articles of you and, and researching. And I was like, Oh my God, that just made me, my heart melt. And and just the relationship too between a mother and her daughter
0: they can keep their treasure and their tasks to the machine I am the, mother of
1: the way she looked at you and the fact that you were able to write art that's going to speak to her that's her song is just so cool you got to do one for your other daughter huh Yeah, I... (laughs) (laughs) No pressure, but, I mean, you kind of do.
0: I have this kind of song. um, She's My other daughter is, like, really heavy-handed. She's kind of a little bruiser. Cool. And she's got this, like, big head, like, big forehead, like, big head, and she's always smacking it into everything. (sighs) Like, she's got a shiner right now. From hitting her head on a fireplace, and she's got a cut (sighs) on her forehead from God knows what. It just sticks out farther than anything else on her body. So it's just constantly coming back, bruised, and we don't even know where it's coming from. Her body is just not gentle, and I love that so much, but her spirit is really gentle. So I've got this little song I've kind of written about her called Stay Gentle. But it's like like half about her and half about Joni Mitchell.
1: (gasps) Can we... But can we talk
0: about that sure. after
1: this? Yeah. I got to I I got to I got to hear everything about Blue. <laughs> can I can I tell you? So, Brandy and I connected because I originally reached out to you because I saw Blue from the nosebleeds. I wasn't cool enough or famous enough are to no get There were
0: no nosebleeds in Hall.
1: <laughs> there were no nosebleeds, but the coolest part about being that high up was I had a direct line I your band, I could see you. When you turned around, I could see you from the front, but I could see Joni Mitchell watching you the whole time as you were performing Blue. And Brandy, that was like, I know I wrote you that it was church and it was that out-of-body experience talking about faith and connecting to something higher than myself. Truly, that was the first musical performance, oh, makes me wanna cry, that I've ever really felt like I was connected deeply to a higher power life like that. And so I have to know for you, what that experience was like you also just seemed so your heart like was so genuine and so there was no ego it was like I love this so much <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna do this in front of Joni freaking Mitchell can you tell me everything you can about that
0: and How I mean there's so and- much to say it's like it ch- we're I we live in the time of hyperbole we just do but it changed my life like it, it honestly ugh. did and I was, you felt connected to a higher power because he was there. I was begging him to be there for weeks leading up to that. (laughs) I wasn't able to do that on my own. I actually had to get hypnotized. No. Mm -hmm. And it was just terrifying. And I had just bitten off so much more than I could chew. And I said I would do it. And I said I would do it. And I said I would do it. And then it came time to where I was actually supposed to learn that really hard music and do it. And people were coming. And... I just suddenly reached like this pinch point in you know my soul of like panic of like well I can't do this and I'm not Joni Mitchell and she's a very difficult singer and also she's she's amazing but she's highly critical and I don't want to sing this album in front of her and like I don't know why I said I would do this and I just got negative like into a kind of a negative cycle and then what you don't know about me is that I am utterly obsessed with Elton John and I've been obsessed with Elton John since I was 11 years old. I could go on about that, but just know that it's as bad as it gets. Like, there wasn't an inch of my wall that wasn't covered with Elton John posters. And we'd always kept in casual correspondence, which was always blowing my mind, of course. But he had never seen me sing anymore. wasn't going to come to anything. And then some things happened where we collided, and he decided to come to this. So that's who was sitting next to Joni, you know, holding her hand. It's like, I'm sitting there, and there's like... Elton John and Joni Mitchell, like holding hands, watching me sing blue. And I just imploded. I just crumbled. I was nine years old leading up to it. But I was like praying and praying and getting hypnotized and trying to get my sleep and trying to trying to not convince myself I was sick. Oh, and, the worst. Yeah. I'm like,
1: uh, I know. It's, what's it's my like answer. a little
0: something going on. I think. Um, But when I got out there and I was like, I am on a lonely road and I am traveling, 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 traveling. When that last traveling came out, I was just, I am fucking here. I, You're here. Get over it. Stop this and remember this moment because it'll never happen again. Don't ruin this, you know. And I I can't control my anxiety any more than anyone else can. But I, I knew I had had the tools at that point. I just decided to, to employ them. So that's the emotional side of it. Musically, it was a blast. And it was incredibly difficult. And the vocals were, they felt firmly within my control. Like I had them. Oh girl, you did. You did. And I wasn't suffering and I didn't suffer through it. I loved every second of it. I suffered right up until that first line though. (laughs) It gives
1: me so much hope to hear that you didn't black out and that you enjoyed every minute. No, I swear to God, because... I've only had to sing once on a stage that I was like terrified at Lincoln Center and I blacked out. And then when I hit the last note, I was like, oh, I missed singing at Lincoln Center with the Philharmonic. Like I, And so, oh, it makes me want to just explode with joy that you were able to...
0: I know what you mean. Like we only know <sighs> not to do that because we've done it. Exactly. You know, and like I'm nearly 40 now and I just, I did used to do that. and And there are certain like techniques I would try to employ you know take my shoes off so I could feel something under my feet you know drink alcohol like I don't drink alcohol (laughs) when I perform anymore it's just terrible I miss it yeah accident do do different things that just don't work for me anymore like there's a new there's got to be new sources for me to pull from to enjoy my experiences so that I have them I have those memories like I have those chapters you know And those two watching
1: you, Brandy, like, I know you didn't get to see firsthand because you were in it, but, I mean, I'll never forget that the rest of my life.
0: I could see their teeth. Their teeth. They were smiling. You could. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, she was, she was also just riveted like i could feel her heart like it felt like there was a light beam from Joni's heart to yours and that it like gives me chills i'm like wanting to like explode with like joy over this i know you felt
0: it you did she was there and it was yeah she's like a house cat like she's got this like well she's like a cat not a house cat she's like a wild cat like she's very powerful she could hurt Mm. you she could hurt you um but she's beautiful and she's just more important than time. And she could kind of take you or leave you. But whenever you get that little glimpse or that glimmer that she might love you, it's like really big deal, you know. And right before I went out on stage, I stopped by her dressing room. She sort of walked out to her seat um, around the time I was, I was walking out on stage. And, um, and just the fact that she's walking at all, by the way, is yes. a miracle in and of itself. But I, I sort of stopped by her dressing room, and I was like – I gave her a kiss, and, and she got her lipstick on my face. And I said, hey, <laughs> Joni, I said, just one question. Um, when I think of your kisses, my mind sees stars. And she goes – "She just she's walking out of the room, and she stops and looks at me, and she goes, when I think of your kisses, my mind seesaws. It seesaws. And then leaves. And she just corrected my lyric. And it was just this, like, moment of, like – You have the wrong words, kid. Like, here you go. That's the right words. Go get them. But it was, like, (sighs) this big kind of feeling of, like, very cat-like support. Like, that slow nod, that Lion King nod, that, like, you know. And I felt so much pressure from that. But, like, also so just I felt sanctioned. Like, I had some... You know, yeah. like she had my back or something. So it was just cool that she, you know. I love
1: this so much. I like, I've been dying to ask you about that experience. And and it just also makes me feel so much better that you're not immune to anxiety before something like that. That that like, even though you've been uber successful in Grammys and hundred million times on stage, like you still had to worried about your tickle and about getting sick and all the things that I obsess over.
0: Our job is insane. What we do is not okay. There's no (laughs) understudy. I know, but
1: I just, it, it, oh, it just, it makes me feel less alone to know that two things that you felt that debilitating anxiety, but then having witnessed what you did on stage, I would have, there wouldn't have been a hundred million years. I would have never guessed that you had felt that because you just, and I think honestly, Brandy, that's also a testament to you and how generous you are as an artist and a human. You just, you do so much for women. You give so much to everybody. And when you step on stage, I'm sure Joni felt it too. And that's why she gave you the cat nod was because like, you're the, you're the most pure light being that we have here. I feel like, and, and you're, you're changing the world. And <laughs> no. I just, I'm going to call you Dolly Brandy, like Dolly Lava, but Do- oh, it could have been Dolly Parton. So All I had to the, I like the Dolly
0: thing, both directions. Yeah. Dolly Brandy
1: both ways. Um, have you ever met Dolly? Yes. And oh my God, am I going to reveal this on uh, the podcast? You can Do tell it. me if you think I should or not, if we should edit it out. So the, the story around Dolly is she's a huge part of my family's life. Uh-huh. We have a Dolly Parton photo that my grandfather... Great grandpa, everybody was obsessed with Dolly. So we have a photo that goes around every Christmas that you get the Dolly photo, someone gets it and you display it in your house, basically. We don't have it right now or else I'd show you. Does that mean you're hosting Christmas if you get it? Like you're hosting Christmas? It doesn't mean that yet, but now that, unfortunately, like my grandma passed away during COVID and all that. So we haven't... um, we haven't decided about Christmas. Usually we go to her house. But um, the way that my husband got the okay that it was okay to marry me was that one year my dad and grandpa, oh, and there's a poem that goes along with it that you have to write. When you give Dolly, you have to write a poem. And so uh, my my grandfather and my dad wrote a poem to present to Michael with the Dolly photo. But I got to meet her. I did a meet and greet before her show at the Hollywood Bowl, which was as life-changing as blue, maybe not as much, but close. Dolly, you were a close second to Brandy Carlisle's blue. Um, but she, we took the picture, and Michael and I walked away from her, and we turned around at the same time, we went, she grabbed my ass. And I was like, she grabbed my ass. She grabbed both of our butts. I felt like we were blessed by Dolly. I've never told anybody other than friends that, but Michael and I were like, we've been
0: blessed. That means we've been she, blessed by Dolly. She liked y'all. She, she liked it cuz that is like yeah that's a that's a thing that's that's amazing that sounds <laughs> i believe it was it was pretty i believe it was it was pretty awesome i don't. i don't mean to like touch back on anxiety again but when i had dolly out to the Newport Folk Fest to be my surprise guest in the very first all female headlining set at Newport and Newport is where the great like the great rock and roll moments happen you know this is where bob dylan plugged in this is where the freedom singers like led a march through the town this is where um johnny cash introduced the world to chris christopherson this is where judy collins put together a set on like the third tiered side stage that had leonard cohen and joni mitchell in it that's where they met you know so it's just there was a lot of pressure and I was really excited to have Dolly as a special guest and it was super secret and nobody was supposed to know about it and there were other collaborations that were equally as crazy I was singing both sides now with Judy Collins and Amy Ray was there and we were doing the Indigo Girls and Sheryl Crow was there and we were doing Strong Enough and god it just it was endless um the that set was really special Linda Perry came and did What's Up so Dolly rolls in and I am hosting this thing and I've got set lists and scripts and time limits and i'm told that the police send die stage and throw you out like unplug your pa system if you go over time and dolly's the last thing and i'm terrified they're gonna unplug dolly and i just was again just too much pressure you know i should have got hypnotized um but i didn't and so they walk dolly onto the, the the festival grounds and it's just a walking bag she's got a bag over her head and all you can see are these like six inch heels and these long fingernails curled up over the top, like, holding this, this bag on herself. And everybody's looking. They're like, that's the special guest. Who is it? Who is it? Who is it? I know who it is. I go in the trailer. Dolly comes in the trailer. She takes the bag off of her head. And we're giggling and laughing. And she's wearing a bright yellow nudie suit from the 70s. Um, I was like, I think, I've, I think I'm in over my head this time, Dolly. And she goes, baby, come here. She goes, ah, bow your head. And I bowed my head and she took my face in her hands and she prayed over me. And I won't say what was in the prayer because, you know, it'll always just be between her and me. But when when Dolly prayed over me, (laughs) she didn't grab my ass, but she prayed over me. You know, I, I I could do it. I was ready. So there there have been there is a long line of really mystical and profound women and queer people that are a lot older than me who have been pushing me forward into this life and giving me confidence and giving me strength when I think I can't do it. And uh, Dolly's been one of those people, you know, just from that one little prayer. She probably says them all day long. Wow. Oh, that's really cool. I'll take that
1: over ass-grabbing any day. I'm not sure which I would prefer. Actually, I have the biggest crush on Dolly How about praying while she grabs our ass? That would be, that's it, right? There you go. Uh, Speaking of Dolly, we have questions, final questions that we ask everyone. And one of them is Dolly questions. So I feel like I have to go into your Dolly question, which is, it's trivia questions about Dolly. You'll probably know the answer. But Dolly question, true or false? Dolly once entered a Dolly lookalike drag queen contest and lost. True. It is true. I yeah. love that story. <laughs> she didn't beat a drag queen no, at I being two Dolly I read books. It's been both of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, see, you're as big of a Dolly fan as me, so you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. You could only bring three records with you to a deserted island. What would they be and why?
0: Uh, Captain Fantastic and the Browner Cowboy. Because it's an album that's written about a love story between the two greatest living songwriting songwriters that have ever lived. Like the duo for me is Elton John, Bernie Toppin. Ride or Die. Um, their love story, their platonic love story, is like it's multi-dimensional to me. Um, Joni Mitchell, Blue, and oh my gosh, Kath, help me, help me.
1: I know it's a really hard question. People have had such good answers, though. I listen to everything people say okay. after because it's
0: so good. Queen and Night at the Opera. <gasps> yes. Ooh, those are good
1: ones. Yeah. You might win. How about you? These are really Oh, no one's asked me. Ooh. Oh my gosh. You have to answer that shit. Oh, Brandy. I was not expecting the turnaround. Clouds, Joni Mitchell is okay. actually my favorite. All right. I think I love Blue, too, but Clouds speaks to me. Like, that's what I listen to when I'm on the verge of a panic attack and need to calm down. Okay. Uh, honestly, John Prine in spite of ourselves. Oh, yeah.
0: Oh. It's that third one. That's the hard one. That's the really hard one. I struggle. I I'm really sure. love
1: Brandy Carlisle, Bear Creek, actually.
0: Oh, really? Are you watching it on Sunday? I'm streaming I the I sure thing.
1: am. <laughs> I can't wait to watch it on Sunday. I cool. love that album. I, like that album also, I just like dance around and, and love playing that on vinyl. So yeah, those are my three. You're nice. on it, girlfriend. I like that. Hey, wow, that hey. makes me feel really good. Uh, what subject do you Google the most? Hmm. <laughs> tomatoes,
0: growing growing tomatoes.
1: <laughs> I failed this whole quarantine at growing any <laughs> vegetables. Flowers, I've done a great job. All my vegetables have died, including tomatoes. So if you yeah, have any tips, not. Let me know. I
0: mean, I I'm still. I have a lot more than could be could be contained in this. I'm like on tomato forums with like secret screen names and, like, yeah, I'm really really into growing tomatoes. That's awesome, and they taste so good
1: right off the vine. My husband was so excited we were gonna have tomatoes off the vine, and they didn't make it.
0: Oh, I really like your husband already. He's like this He's is a my kind egg. of guy. He's like a prepper. He's into John Line. <laughs> Fly fishing fly horses. Fishing. He has a huge, he just rescued a
1: massive draft horse a mare named Rosie. And she just melts in front of, she's massive. And he's 6'3". And they're like, it's they're the biggest thing ever. You would, you two actually would really, if you're ever in LA, you got to come hang and, and see us. I would love to meet your wife too. That'd be awesome. Um, okay. This is the final question. This is called the blank room exercise. So if you don't mind, close your eyes. Okay. Go into a blank room. What are you hearing? Um, Birds. Mm. What are you smelling?
0: Old paper. What are you tasting? This is a trick one, because I have gum in my mouth and all I can think about (laughs) is that my mouth tastes (laughs) like gum, so gum. What are you touching? Nothing. What are you seeing? Walls and windows. (laughs)
1: That's awesome. Brandy, you are a gem of all gems and the most generous and wonderful human. We can't thank you enough for you this. You are. Thank you. Did I lie? Was that not the best interview of all time? Can you tell I am such a fangirl? What y'all don't know is I was shaking the whole time during that interview. I was just fangirling out. I called my best friend Alicia after, who's the biggest Brandy fan, and turned me on to her years ago. And I was just almost in tears with giddiness. So I hope that that episode meant as much to you as it did to me. You can dig into Brandy's entire catalog on all streaming services and discover more about her creative work, her charities, and other various projects at brandycarlisle.com. If you didn't know, Harmonix is part of the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. Check out all of the amazing Roots Music and Culture podcasts they have up, including The Show on the Road, a music discovery podcast featuring interviews and exclusive acoustic performances from Roots music veterans like Bella Fleck and Abigail Washburn to Americana newcomers and favorites including Madison Cunningham and Mandolin Orange. Join host and Dust Bowl revival frontman Z Lupiton every week for new episodes and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of Harmonics was produced and edited by Chris Jacobs and is only possible with the superb leadership of executive producer Amy Rightnow Reitenauer- Jacobs and the entire team over at The Bluegrass Situation. Theme music by Allison Russell. Discover more at Allison Russell Music on Instagram and wherever you stream music. I'm your host, Beth Bears. Until next time, always remember that creativity is healing, and healing is creative.